0: This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. I am your host, and well with me today is Hans. Hans, how are you doing? You're in the future. By the way, I am. the shot of them going through the tunnel in the car with Adrian Greener and uh, the the boy from Roseanne, that white trash boy from Roseanne with the spiky Philip DeFranco hair, uh, that was the worst shot of the entire movie, A.I.
1: Yeah. Do you agree or disagree? I don't remember that shot. You don't remember? I, don't, I do not remember that shot. I, I never saw Roseanne.
0: You never saw Roseanne, so, only the Connors. Yeah, big fan of the I'm Connors. More of a Connors,
1: more of a Connors man. You started watching once they fired her. <laughs> I started watching once uh, John Goodman started losing weight. Yeah, because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pro-fat people.
0: He was heavily distressed by Roseanne getting fired. He was, he was wrecked by that.
1: Anti-fat and watching Roseanne—that's <laughs> my favorite <laughs> show. But I hate fat people. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, I don't remember that bit, but uh, the thing that, uh, at least from the beginning, that, that shocked me the most was that I completely forgot that Lizzie McGuire's brother was in this movie, and he was just as annoying as he was in that show. That I was probably too old to watch when I watched, but let's not talk about that.
0: <laughs> No. Well, first of all, the movie we're going to be, I mean, obviously, you know, if you clicked on this podcast it's the name of the episode, we're going to be talking about the, the first Spielberg film we've ever covered on this show, I believe. Steven Spielberg, asterisk. His finest. His finest of the 21st century. You could probably make the argument. What's it? Uh, You don't think so? What do you? Th- I mean, what, what has he done in the past 20 years? Hugo. <laughs> Martin Scorsese's <laughs> Hugo. That's the best film Spielberg has produced. Bridges of Spies. What? One of the forgettable old man films he's put out in the past. Six- Lincoln. Is Lincoln oh, the, the best one? West Side Story.
1: Produced right. Did he? he did he produce, produce that one? Sam no. Raimi's? No, no, no. I don't. I didn't even see that one because
0: it was boring. Why was, would you? It was a boring remake, and nobody remembers that they even remade Poltergeist. Now that's how boring it was. It wasn't even that bad.
1: It was just boring. So that's good though. That's a good thing. Uh, what about the post? Did you end up watching the post? I I did not watch the
0: post, uh, but I hear no, it no. celebrates some of the the most noble noble uh careers hard people working. yes hard-working yeah. journalists yeah what is that about and you
1: got the, the big fucking giant right you got bridge of spice you got lincoln you got warhorse you got the adventures of tintin which you didn't even know what it was when i mentioned oh, you, it didn't, you didn't you
0: didn't know you didn't know what what it was you <laughs> thought it was uh french property french <laughs> see here's here's East the thing
1: Belgium, it's the same thing <laughs>
0: There's almost a zero engagement on Twitter. Twitter's a terrible place, but on Facebook, oh my God, Mama Mia!
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Nah. Oh yeah, there was a lot of people just upset at the fact that you and I didn't know Yeah, that
0: you were you were big shot at me, you were being a snob and you weren't even correct. So here here's here's a good uh method <laughs> of getting some engagement, and drawing people into whatever you're working on if you're bad at Twitter. You just take a screenshot of the tweet and post that on Facebook and you'll get 200 times the engagement you normally would. And what I did was uh, Hans and I had a back and forth about uh Boardwalk Empire about What's his name? Richard Harrow, the character on Boardwalk. And you said, what is, what is this, Adventures of Tintin? And I yeah. said something to the effect of, uh, nobody outside of Britain knows what that is. And then you said, it's French. And you said something in a foreign <laughs> language that's probably derogatory. Now, we didn't learn until I posted it over on Facebook that you were wrong as well. It ain't French <laughs> at all. It's Belgian. So everybody yeah, looks like an asshole you- now.
1: But I mean, Belgium and, and Netherlands, you know, like all of their productions are either French or, or what's the what's the other country that's around there speaking Denver. that language? Because like nobody knows. Babar. I'm sure Babar is like. Two, <laughs> boy! Oh, excuse
0: French. me. Babar. <laughs> what the fuck is <laughs> yeah, that? The
1: elephant.
0: Babar. The <laughs> Babar? elephant.
1: Whatever. We 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 had it with an accent because it was in Spanish. It was Babar. Yeah. So that one's probably from. Netherlands or or Belgium or something like that, but you know I, it's French. I was
0: such a little asshole when I was a kid. I used to watch Babar on HBO, and I'd point to my mom and say, "That's you. You're Babar the <laughs> elephant."
1: because <laughs> she's Queen, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Let's go. Let's go down to the the continuing with the list of directed by Spielberg. Um, a timeless call that apparently is a short don't know what that is. Right, we're not, Jones, we're not including
0: shorts here. Oh,
1: oh. Munich, oh, ooh, Munich is
0: pretty good. Ooh. I saw two Spielberg films in the past 20 years. I saw Indiana Jones 4 and I went to go see Lincoln and Lincoln was painfully dull.
1: Did you not see the War of the Worlds? Uh, actually, I, I liked
0: War of the Worlds quite a bit. I did see that. That was 2005, right?
1: Yeah. Then there's a terminal. Catch me if you can. Minority Report and then this one did you ever see minority report yeah
0: that might be a decent one to follow up with this i i haven't seen it in a while but i i don't remember feeling strongly about it
1: it is fine it's fine it's early you know early 2000 sci-fi i haven't seen it in a while but i confuse it a lot with the total recall remake because they use similar technology But I I, I honestly don't. That's the same author.
0: Isn't it? Isn't it both? uh, Is it Philip K. K. Dick? Yeah. I think think they might both uh, be Philip K. Dick properties. I'm not certain, though. I could be wrong about that. But similar to Minority Report, I had very lukewarm feelings about AI, artificial intelligence. And I decided to revisit it out of the blue while I was scrolling Amazon Prime, I've got these Kubrick books from um, a couple years back, one on Napoleon, one on the rest of his films that he did. And there's a small section at the end of one which covers his entire filmography that talks about unrealized projects. And one, I mean, the famous one is obviously Napoleon, which they expanded into its own uh, Teshin book. And there's also Aryan Papers, which was going to be his World War II Holocaust uh, uh, film that he wound up squashing because Spielberg, he felt, beat him to the chase with Schindler's List. And he had done Full Metal Jacket a couple of years earlier. And Platoon came out and stole all the, you know, the 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 excitement about doing a Vietnam War biopic. That one Best Picture, Platoon. And then Full Metal Jacket comes out two years later. It's a totally different style of film. And I think it got... It didn't land the way that a Kubrick film probably should have landed uh, for, for that time period. So when it came to doing Aryan Papers, he even had The Little Boy from Jurassic Park as the lead in that movie. Mm-hmm. Everything got shut down, though, as a result of Spielberg doing Schindler's List and Jurassic Park in the same year. And he just started working at a slower pace. He did Eyes Wide Shut I think production on that began in 1996 or 7. It took three years to film and finish, and uh, he didn't even get to finish it on his terms. He died prematurely. And this movie, AI, was, for a while anyway, supposed to be his next chapter as a director. But two things uh, occurred in the process of that. Uh, Number one, they couldn't get the technology right at the time when he was thinking about directing this film which started i think in the late 70s he would always have these ideas and it would take him 20 years to actually get moving on it like i know eyes wide shut was an idea in the 1970s where they wanted to do at first it was going to be steve martin and somebody else and then it was going to be woody allen and mia farrow and then it was going to be alec baldwin (laughs) and kim basinger
1: (laughs) okay there's steve martin that role yeah there's (laughs) there's many that
0: would have been him circa like the jerk so right at the height of his career
1: any any Steve Martin that role really just any of the of his performances just I I can't see it same I guess Woody Allen would be better at playing that kind of weirdo creepy role but yeah little little man like Tom Cruise I guess so uh,
0: AI becomes one of these unrealized projects but he doesn't give up on it right away because he's put a lot of work into this. They even did animatronic tests in the mid-90s because they wanted to use uh, something similar to what I imagine, anyway, something similar to what we were talking about right before we started the show, heart beeps, right? But obviously yeah. you have a person in a tin outfit, and then they're, they got makeup going on. I think they actually wanted to use an animatronic little boy, <clears throat> but the technology wasn't there. The rubber face just looked too jarring, I guess. And it it would have been a tremendous amount of work to pull that off.
1: That reminds me of uh, what's that Robin Williams movie, Bicentennial Man? Yes, Two, yeah, yeah. Kind of plays like a robot thing, a rubber robot.
0: Yep, <clears throat> I was thinking about that movie as well. He pops up in this movie, Robin Williams, along yeah, with his uh, voice. Some some other celebrity cameos for the the robots. I know uh, Chris Rock was one you didn't catch. Did you catch Meryl Streep?
1: No, I don't think so. No. She was the
0: blue fairy. But the
1: oh, okay. Well, the Robin Williams voice is very obvious, though. But yeah. like you can you can hear his cadence, and it, it's one of the the thing the voices that narrate like, at the beginning. It narrates something. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's very distinctive. His energy and like his you know cadence.
0: Right, um, and he does the uh, the Einstein style voices, Doctor No later in the film. Right. Um, at a certain point. I think Kubrick was starting to slow down. He was feeling old. He was spending too much time on Eyes Wide Shut. He talked to Spielberg, who was a friend of his, and kind of like... I view Spielberg as the inverse of Kubrick, or like bizarro Kubrick, where Kubrick was very methodical with his films, and he was very precise in which films he wanted to do and direct, and he he kept it at a very small amount, 13, and they were always distinctly his movies. There was always the artistic integrity of them. Whereas Spielberg, I think it's fair to say he's a very... He's he's a high-tier director. He's a quality director. Even if maybe I find his work bland, uh, he has accomplished directing something like 30 films. all uh, I'm, All if not mostly studio projects that he probably if he wasn't Steven Spielberg would have little control over and he has done so successfully. I think a would lot you of say people,
1: that, uh, would you say that Spielberg is <laughs> Spielberg is the eighties Michael Bay? Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yes. Yeah. I, th- I think that could, I think that that fits,
1: but cause honestly, I, I feel like he's, he's held into higher regard because a lot of us watch these movies when we're little. So a lot of his movies have that nostalgia factor of, You know, we remember them being better than what they actually are. Yeah, Uh, because I I uh, I became more familiar with his work as an adult. So I've never been mind blown by his productions. I just think he's good. Like he's serviceable for the type of movie that he does. But I've never thought that he's incredible or amazing or, or anything special other than you know someone that knows exactly how to do that type of movie which is definitely a skill but it's not someone that I would put on like a top five top ten list of directors that I like you know what I mean
0: yeah I'm I'm right there with you I think he's an important director in the scope of filmmaking he's probably close to somebody like a John Ford in regards to what their placement is in film history where John Ford directed I I think over a hundred movies all the same type of movie a western yeah and you have Spielberg who has done something similar with the blockbuster action adventure genre and if you take a look at any one of his movies it's usually not going to be spectacular it's not going to be that interesting in my opinion anyway i know other people feel very strongly about jaws and all right. these other um properties but i'm i'm in full agreement with you in that there is not one specific spielberg movie maybe that I go back to time and time again and can is as a favorite of mine, even Jaws, even Indiana Jones or Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark. Uh, none of them particularly um, hold my appeal as something that I, I love or um, find tremendous influence in. A
1: lot of it is from like, when you watch them, right? So E.T., I'm sure that if you saw that as a kid, that had a big influence on you, or at least has that factor of, I remember my life when this came out. Or uh, something like Indiana Jones, too, which is kind of like a, you know, it's an adventure movie that, you know, younger people can like because it's very much, you know, adventure. And then a hero, you know, it's a very basic story. Uh, But uh, they're iconic, and they were... Maybe the first on its kind, so they're held uh, in a higher regard than maybe something that's more modern that's influenced by this type of movie. But at the same time, if you go back and look at them, uh, you see that uh, they have influenced a lot of modern movies. But it, they're also just okay, you know. There's the. I, and I don't know if it's just because I I was exposed to them later in my life uh, that I, I don't really see the the iconography because maybe i saw it on other things that were um influenced by this so i don't have that attachment to his work that i feel a lot of people have because they they're, they were more familiar with they grew up with their movies or more familiar with the movies growing up or the things that they watched you know when they were exposed to movies for the first time uh but yeah i can't i can't think of any of them that I, that i can say okay well this shot from this movie like I would love to do, or I, I go back to it because I'm very impressed by how he was able to manage this. Yeah. Uh, it just it just feels like he was able to do those things because you know there's money in this type of movie and that's how you get it done, I guess. Not nothing creative. There was no, maybe not nothing creative. I shouldn't I shouldn't go that that hard. But there's no like Sam Raimi camera movement. You know, there's no.
0: There's no experimental nature to his films. He has locked yeah. in what he wants to do, what a movie is. And I feel like he would be a great example of somebody, like if there was an alien species that came to Earth and you had to explain what a movie was to them, you'd probably give them a Spielberg film. It's right. Which is to say, it's not even necessarily that they're generic. It's just that there's no surprises, right? Mm-hmm. They, you're never going to be caught off guard by something in a Spielberg film. And this might be the closest example of, uh, of something that would be surprising from under his belt because I, I, I view this as um, an extremely strange, cold movie, which I makes sense for the, the, the Kubrick producer role. But even under Spielberg, I, I think that's honoring that original vision fairly well. And it makes for something
1: bizarre it's like it's like the Pinocchio story but sadder somehow you know it's like yeah it's like throughout the whole movie all you do is just feel bad for this little robot boy because you know that no matter how long the movie is at the end he's not going to get what he wants so it's just a, a a continuation just things that move the the story forward a little bit but you know he's not going to get to that point so at the end of the day it's just a, a depressing movie that ends with a kind of depressing note, I guess, if yes. you really want to think about it. it feels, <laughs> the,
0: the ending feels like, a, a, I mean, we have a lot to talk about. We probably shouldn't be starting with the ending, but we always do this. We always hop right to the ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the ending feels like a cruel joke on the audience, right? Yeah. Because you have the artifice introduced at the beginning after they have problems with their kid who's paralyzed from an accident. And then, um, you know, you have the the robot come in and play that before, before you
1: Before you move on from that... How shitty of a parent you have to be where your kid gets paralyzed and you're immediately like, "Well, yeah. let's just replace him."
0: Like <laughs> he's a dog. A
1: yeah. yeah, who cares? You know, we're not going to have him walking around with wheels. Let's just get a new boy. That was at first I didn't understand that bit because I I I thought the kid had died and then he pops up and I'm like, "Wait, So the kid was just sick or like wasn't an accident and their parents were just like, well, let's just get a new one. That's fine.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that was that was that that's extremely strange. And um, about that, like, I know you mentioned the kid from Even Stevens who plays the actual son being kind of being kind of a brat, being a snot nosed punk. But he's not really. He's just kind of like an average kid for that time. But it's his personality that is repulsive, you know. For, for like because he, he's pretty close to like a real eight-year-old boy for that for that time period. Yeah. And also I mean, to come back and then all of a sudden you have a fake little brother, you're going to also, that boy is going to grow up and have a lot of questions and a lot, a lot of uh, just resentment for his folks once he understands what the situation there actually was. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't think he brings upon uh, any, any of the bad luck that does arrive Uh, As a result of that, but uh, it's just to what I was saying before, you have these parents that introduce this, this artifice into their family environment to kind of patch up a hole. Right. But, you know, that's not going to work in the long run. And we start to see that decay and all the problems that are associated with that rather quickly when he becomes somewhat of a threat. Now, obviously there's a lot of accidental things here, but same rules apply. And then by the time we reach the end of the movie, where he's the most real thing, I guess that's left on Earth, which Earth, is yeah. yeah, which is uh, you know wiped out by climate change and um, when I you know when I was a kid, I thought these advanced robots that thaw him were aliens. Did you did you think that when you watched the movie yeah. twenty years ago? That was my impression. Yeah, um, maybe it's just the VHS I mean, I, degrading I, I, some of their facial thought- quality,
1: but. I thought that a day ago, not 20 years ago when the came out. I thought, I thought that yesterday when I saw it. Yeah. I didn't like, when I was watching it, I was like, Oh cool aliens. And then, you know, sort of, uh, but yeah. yeah, no.
0: So uh, by, by the time we get there, it's like, all right, it, you know, it echoes that beginning where you have whatever is desired being put into place. And it's, I I don't know. It it just feels very strange, very off because you know it's like this is yeah. this does nothing. This is I mean we don't even know if it does something for the the robot boy David because we don't know if he can feel or, or if he is actually advancing. Now, we know through the William Hurt character Professor Hobby that there's something different about this David doll. And oh, by the way, that scene is gruesome. Where he goes and finds out that there's like a thousand Davids that are <laughs> and you have the Jeepers Creepers yeah. moment where you know you have the the skinned David and he's looking through the empty eye hole. I was like, Whoa, this just got extremely uh dark. It's cool. Yes, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's uh, very unlike Spielberg. So there's I don't know, I think there's a lot of interesting ideas that are in this movie that for the most part has been disregarded and forgotten to time. And also I'll tell you what a lot of the special effects in this movie hold up fairly well, all things considered. The, the special effects and the CG in this movie, which was put out in 2001, looks better than a good portion of the movies put out in the last five years.
1: If you get past the lazy town look that the robots have, you know, that LazyTown, like that's the only thing that the Jude Law character looked very rubbery, like it looked oh, kind yeah. of like the looked like the that, guy who that died. show.
0: What's his name? The bad guy, you know, who looks like a Frenchman? Yeah,
1: I don't know. Had cancer. Yeah, the one with the chin? Yes. Yeah. Jim Carrey know. face? But what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But once you get past that, like everything else is very serviceable, especially for a early 2000s thing. Like, I was expecting... I, I remember that when it came out, that was one of the things, right? The special effects are amazing, and this in the like, early 2000s was uh, better than The Matrix, which was, at the time like top-of-the-line effects right this is what two years later uh or after that movie came out yeah uh and everything looks good uh obviously you know the world that he created it's a little mucky sometimes and it feels like like you don't know exactly what's going on because there's so much uh there's so many things so many robots are like holograms and things like that so that world on itself it's saturated enough where even if uh uh if it didn't hold up, I think the special effects it's made in a way where it doesn't need to be very advanced, kind of like Blade Runner-ish at times. Uh, but not not none of it felt old or or badly done, even though we're watching it 20 years later or 19 years later or whatever it is. So that part that Kubrick was afraid of of making it because they didn't have the technology, somehow they were able to pull it off where us watching it you know 20 years later is still not there is not like a sore thumb that sticks out you know or that takes you out of the movie at all
0: well hold on a second that's that, i don't think that's that's entirely that's <laughs> very close to true i don't think it's entirely true what i was referencing before when they're in the car driving through your background here is mm-hmm. the most fake moment of the movie because you can see that they just put in like a car seat and then a green screen's behind them and everybody is just sitting and re- reacting crazily aside from that i think it all looks Pretty, pretty good. And um, the weakest part of uh, that, aside from that, might be the ending, uh, might be the advanced robots just because they look too artificial. And um, it, it it becomes a little, I don't know, it, it, it's a step too far away from everything that came before yeah. it. And that might be why. Uh, what did you think of Haley Joel Osment's performance in this movie? He was fresh off The Sixth Sense, that came out in 1999, I believe, or 2000. So he was still hot at the time. He was the only choice for this role, and the
1: movie is carried on his shoulders. I think, I think he works better on Sixth Sense because we don't see him as much, so he's able to play off his adorable little boyness off Bruce Willis, who's our quote unquote main character in that movie, right? So. We're not as exposed to this boy who doesn't really have that much to say on Sixth Sense. In this one, he's a robot. He's a little android that doesn't really know that much. But we spend the whole movie with him. And a lot of the time, he's just silent. He's just quiet because he doesn't know what's going on. Uh, So I, I, I think his performance was great just because I never thought he was a real boy throughout the movie. His posture, the way that he reacted to things, the way that... That his face would look like as a reaction to other people talking or other things happening in the room. He was great. He, he, I, I'm sure that Spielberg spent a lot of time coaching him. So how to look unnatural in what it should be like a natural situation. And he did that really well, but I don't know if, if his character was as, as interesting as you know, the one in six Sense, just because there was so much of him, but he, the character didn't really do that much. You know what I mean? Like everything was very emotional for the character even though he's a little robot so we do see him cry at times we do see him get very upset at times or very emotional at how much he wants his mom to love him or whatever but i i just don't think that there was enough for that character to do to justify two hours and 20 minutes focusing entirely on just him yeah uh so at times i was kind of drifting off just because I understand where the story was going. I understand what the goal of the character was, but there was so much filler where they were trying to show him the different world that was out there for him, but he wasn't really a part of it. He was more of an expectator of everything that was happening around him, and he was just kind of emoting around everything else that I didn't find his character to be interesting or engaging, uh, especially if you compare it to the the, the little boy from Six Sense. Uh, but his performance as a little android boy was great. Like, at, at no point I thought that he was a real boy. Uh, so if we're going towards that, then he, he was great. I just don't think that the character was, you know, that, it, which makes sense. He's a little android with, like, right. no, n- nothing on it, which fine. But to justify the, the runtime, I, I I feel like you could have caught maybe 15, 20 minutes of, of the things he was exposed by that didn't really affect him at all.
0: Right. It, it's an interesting situation where I think he's probably putting more into the role and getting less out of it as a result of that because he has to be more subdued and less yeah. emotive uh, just because of the basis of that character, as opposed to the Sixth Sense, where I feel like that's a more one note character, even, even I, if that's even possible, just because he has to be upset. And rattled, right, and depressed-looking throughout. He doesn't really have too much to do where he's having fun or, you know, experiencing different uh, things for the first time, like this David character. I'll tell you right. what, this is probably the the first and only Jude Law performance I've ever enjoyed. I find Jude Law huh. void of any characteristics, but uh, his 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 Gigolo Joe <laughs> character in this movie actually got a couple of laughs out of me. I thought he was very well cast. Uh, well you don't like
1: how you do like how Hollywood's been trying to force this balding man that's been balding for thirty years as a leading man. That's, that's all very- I can think about
0: with his <laughs> with his curled up hairdo in this movie that that's uh yeah. you know, it's meant to look plastic, but it's just like that's pretty close to that's the it. real thing you would imagine. That's, yeah. That's
1: Alfie. yeah. Yeah, you got Robert Alfie here, it's the same thing. <laughs> so has have been convinced into believing that he's a leading man, but is he really?
0: Mm-hmm. Here's a little fun (laughs) fact for you. Gigolo Joe was supposed to be GI Joe originally in this movie. He was supposed to be a GI Mecca, and then uh, I guess Kubrick decided. Actually, you know what? It'd be funnier if he was a male prostitute. Because you got to you got to keep in mind. I think this movie was really starting to get uh, made around 1985. That's probably right after American Gigolo came out and similar films. Richard Gere is hot. Maybe they're thinking about Richard Gere. Who knows? That would be interesting. He's got a big nose, fluffy (laughs) hair. (laughs) I don't know. Um, So he becomes Gigolo Joe, and there was actually more sex scenes with that character. But he doesn't... uh, This movie is weirdly... It's weirdly paced. I think if you were to focus more on Gigolo Joe, it would it would it, he already kind of feels outside of the main plot mm-hmm. even though he's the the primary supporting character he doesn't show up until about 40 minutes into the movie and you have him have a date with one woman and then he moves on to the next date and he's framed for a murder which it it comes out of nowhere he doesn't have a he he, he doesn't have a lot to do in in The version of this film that we wound up watching and you could probably replace his character with any other like I, i i understand why he's in there and he's a good comedic relief but it just feels it feels like we're distracting from something and it adds an extra 30 minutes onto the story that maybe we don't need
1: it doesn't fit with the main uh goal of the movie it doesn't fit with the you know we're we're joining this little boy or this little robot boy in his journey to discover life or discover what life is truly about or whatever the fuck the message is uh he feels like a like a side character that it's added so that he can show like a side of the world that maybe this little robot would never be um exposed to just because of you know the, the sex aspect of it and the yeah, uh, which I and I, now that you mentioned it, I honestly feel that we could have probably done more with that Jude Law character, or do something more interesting with that character uh, that they did. Just because that framing thing uh, that could have evolved into something more interesting than what they did, because it it really feels like the character is just falls into the story, and then he just falls out, and nothing he does. Uh, there's a little bit of a connection there with uh, uh what's the character's name? The Manny, is it Manny, the little boy? The little boy, David. Dave Manny. Manny, what are you?
0: You've been spending it's too much time the, in Latin it's America. It's this a, is Telemundo's version.
1: A, the, the little Puerto Rican model. Uh, <laughs> the the boy. Like, um I understand why they would bring him, the the Jude Law character in to show him that side of the world, that sexuality, or like how. You know, human beings have created robots to get off or whatever. But it's not like the little robot understands what sexuality is or understands what sex is after this uh, interaction with him. It's not like he learns anything that he didn't know before uh, by being exposed to this character. So the things that he learned from the Jude Law character, he could have learned from literally any anywhere, anyone else or any other robot character. So it feels kind of weird that. This Jude Law character jumps in. He gets framed for murder in a side story that doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't really do much other than setting up when they catch him, right? They fall apart, I guess. And that, that's what happens at the end, right, where the, the hand grabs him. That's well, that, that, that's the thing. Is
0: it's a completely inconsequential character to this story. His only real purpose in it is flying David to Manhattan, he takes, yeah. him to, he takes him to like the, the red light district, essentially, and puts him in front of uh, Dr. No, which we could have gotten there some other way. We didn't really need his character to do that. And then uh, David helps him get busted out of jail or whatever because he's still wanted for murder. And we wind up getting there, and then he just gets like, – like the crane machine, yeah. he just gets zipped up into the sky, caught, and that's a wrap.
1: And we're supposed to feel something for this emotional connection of the characters that are not together anymore, and you you really don't. (laughs) You really don't feel anything other than, oh, I guess he's gone now. Yeah. Because they've they've uh, programmed you into believing that these androids don't feel anything, so why would you? You know. Mm. It's like I'm not. I'm not. You know, they're commander. Commander. I can't say that word the friendship between them the, uh, the friendship yeah the friendship between them it's not strong enough where you feel for this character missing the other character it's more like well now he's gone i guess and now it's just little manny <laughs> by, him, <laughs> by himself and that's it you know i i don't feel like his inclusion into the movie does anything more than I guess guiding the little boy towards getting those answers that don't really answer anything. So at the end of the day, it's unnecessary. Right.
0: (laughs) Here's the the thing as well. The the Dr. No machine is hacked, right, by the hobby character's company to lead David back to Manhattan. So Jude Jude Law's character, Gigolo Joe, did nothing. He did nothing. They would have done something else to shape that character's path in the direction that they had wanted. So he effectively has done nothing aside from yep. fly him there which the teddy character probably could have done. You could have had yeah. that teddy character do most
1: of it. Because even when the little Manny boy was in the je- in the cage, yes. right? He got a little girl to get set him free. Right? The little girl was like, Oh, there's a boy in the cage and then they set him free. So it's not it's not that the Jude Law character saved them or like did some heroic shit to save. Oh, no, he saves him. He saves, he, him. He, he saves, yeah, he saves Joe. He him. Yeah. He just he walks into the little thing and then Joe is like, Oh cool and it just gets in. Like that's that that's the main conflict of the movie, I guess. The main action scene is that. Right? Oh fuck, is that isn't that that's pretty sad now that I like, I didn't realize that the only kind of action scene that this movie has, I, is-
0: I, I don't think that's the only action scene when they put up that fake moon. They uh, like the, the balloon and they start wrangling up the, the Mecca to okay. begin with. There's, there's aspects of it with that. And also Haley Joel Osment. I really liked that. They did this at the end when they do get to hobbies building. And then you have the other David reading a book. Yeah. Uh, at first, I'm like, this is kind of cornball. All right, whatever. I mean, I get what we're about to do here. But then it it goes with David being like, no, I'm the only David, and he murders yeah. the other David. And it's like, oh, see, well, the this is a problem. This as nice and schmaltzy as this whole thing has been, that verifies the truth of it. That this is a dangerous situation for one of these artificial intelligence. To develop but, a, a sense of ego.
1: But then nothing happens. He just goes back to being nice after that. You know, he's he, not like he lost control. That's when he's what's his name? The 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 doctor, the the daddy uh, guy. Hobby. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Mister Mister Hobby guy. Uh, he shows up and he's like, well, no, you just don't understand that this is this and this and this and then and then little Manny is like, okay, and that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. You know, we don't really see the manic side of this robot right? anything. He just oh, no, 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 no. no. Hold, hold on, he he tries
0: he's, to kill himself. He he jumps, he jumps off the building. Yeah. yeah, he does. He has severe depression as a result of this. Where he's like, "There's there's hundreds of me around here. There's a girl version of me, I guess, which is also creepy. Your dead, son. You're resurrecting your dead son and doing a female a model.
1: What the fuck? <laughs>
0: there', there are yeah. so many what 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 are honestly probably like true to life dark realistic things about the nature of humanity and how we interact with AI and what we would do in bringing back the dead in this movie and it is so unlike spielberg
1: well that's the that's the thing that that i I was a little bit disappointed by, especially after knowing that Kubrick was involved in this because I'm sure that if Kubrick had done it. This would have been much darker and not as corny at times as it ended up ended up being. Cause that ending. That ending. That ending. <laughs> I was just fucking rolling my eyes for the past 20 minutes. The only funny part that I, I it wasn't funny on purpose was when the little alien thing, the little whatever it is was spending like five minutes to explain to this boy that it would be a bad thing to revive his mom or whatever because of this and this and this. And the boy's like, yeah, who cares? Just fucking revive her. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, all right. Why the fuck did we just spend 15 minutes explaining to this little boy who can't understand how bad this will be? And then they do it anyway. So it's just like, are they explaining that to us? Because the little boy did not give a fuck. So what's the point of that? I think maybe Kubrick, just knowing his story of how brutal he is with actors and whatnot, I would love to see what it, what he would have done with his little boy and like what the character would have ended up being or what the movie would end up being instead of, uh, you know, little, little robot boy loves his mom and his mom doesn't, but he wants to, you know, gain her love or whatever. And then we lied to him into believing that he got his mom's love. And then she died within a day. and, and the end
0: I th- I think no you know? but I think I think that's all intentional and I think the Spielberg aesthetic is misleading I think what's being communicated here is that human nature is inherently selfish and David adopts that by the end of the movie to get what okay. he wants and you have the Spielberg dressing and the John Williams score and the sappy lovey nature of him and his mom but the truth of it is exactly what you just said you have something that you don't even know if he's really feeling these things, um, yeah. because he is an android, uh, bringing back a dead person for his own selfish desires. Uh, you know, fuck the the dad and the son, and you know whatever she might be thinking about that. It's all about David. David acts out at the end; he kills the other David, which is completely out of nowhere. But it's all entirely driven on the development of an ego. In this in this character, which he did not have at the start of the movie, um, and I I think it was designed in a way where that would go over the casual audience member's head who goes, oh, Steven Spielberg, Haley Joel Osment, I'm going to take my kids to go see this. <laughs> so then the yeah. dummies with 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 uh, you know the sure. children who show up, they go, oh well, that was a nice happy ending. He got to spend time with his mom, and then anyone with like a lick of intelligence goes, that felt very bizarre and off and uh creepy what 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 was the point of that what is what is that you know
1: yeah yeah i guess i'm just i'm just curious as to what Kubrick would have done with this idea like I, i wish that there was like a maybe an early script version of what he was planning to do just because he was such an interesting worker not just director on how his mind worked and how he prepared everything that I would like to see Here's something what now. his
0: idea for it was I think it was <laughs> intentionally meant to be misleading because Kubrick this wasn't just because Kubrick was getting sick in 1985 Kubrick wanted Spielberg to direct the movie and this would have been his first produced movie so it feels like a, a, a it feels like an elaborate practical joke that's what it feels like or something that's like a like a pill where you just take it in, in its structure and then it dissolves over time and maybe the, the reality of what's being um, transmitted to you in this movie uh, becomes clearer. So I think he wanted that schmaltzy dressing that Spielberg offers. Mm-hmm. Now, why would that be? Because it's clearly not, it's very Pinocchio, but it's definitely not Pinocchio. It's, it, yeah. it's if you turn Pinocchio inside out and applied it to the real world. Which I, I I don't know I think that's interesting I um and I think Spielberg did a a fairly decent job at honoring what that vision might have been and considering you had Jan Harlan as a producer on this movie who worked with Kubrick on a number of those films, um it does a pretty good job of keeping that character trait intact in the
1: film. Yeah. Well, now that you put it that way, you're right. It makes sense that you know he will find someone that is known for being flashy and more kid friendly to deliver something like this where it's it's painted as a kid friendly thing just because you have Haley Joel Osment as the face of it with his little face and his big eyes but yeah it ends up being something much darker i yeah i don't i don't know i i guess i guess my my biggest issue with it is that it's not as focused maybe as i would like it to be uh the length of it i think affects that a lot um I, I don't think it's necessary to have to what to 20 to 15 uh, because there's not enough things that happen throughout the movie to validate it and a lot of it feels like filler because we're getting to know the world just like the boy is getting to know the world but then the interactions that we have that he has with that world and that we have with that world are minimal so at the end it's kind of questionable as to do do we really need to know that world that we're being introduced to if there's nothing that's going to affect this little boy right. with that world. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's it was, it was the result of uh, David spending too much time with the family. But you need all that time with the family to properly explain why he is doing what he's doing. And it becomes it becomes a tricky balance that they're trying to maintain where there's so much of the world that they want to develop and show you but we've already spent about 50 minutes with the i mean no disrespect to the actors they're fine enough but they they feel very like tv actors tv yeah. drama yeah, actors yeah, yeah, yeah. you know they were cast yeah. with that idea in mind that they're not the stars but we spent so much time with them you know
1: um and it becomes a problem i think do you really do you think a lot of it is like accomplished though with the time that we spent with them Because even though it, it feel, I don't know how long we we stay with them I'm assuming it's a long time because uh, I remember checking the time of the movie after thinking that I had seen a bunch already and it was only about an hour. So I'm assuming that it's about half an hour at least that we spent with the family and him. But the interactions between him and the family, I don't think that enough happens in that time for us to go from we're going to get him and this is a huge decision to get this little boy because you know it's a little android and he's not real, or whatever. And then we're gonna get rid of him. Like that jump from one to the one decision to the other, at least to me, happened very quickly, or like not not enough things happened in between. Everything seemed to be kind of like an accident. The the things that were happening as a reasoning for them to get rid of it. You know, everything was being kind of uh, um triggered by the older little boy and all of the accidents kind of looked bad but not they're not really like the the one with the scissors thing like that was exacerbated because of the reaction that they had to it because it's not like he was coming at it like this you know he was very innocent with the scissors same when he was like grabbing his brother he was saying protect me protect me yelling it out because he was afraid but then they only saw when he fell which looked like you know he was trying to drown him or whatever. So a lot of the 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 decisions that they made to get rid of him or the actions that led them to that decision seem very very like like they had to happen for the movie, movie to move forward. You know, everything seemed very convenient uh for them to say, okay, well we don't love this little robot anymore or we don't care about this little robot anymore because these one, two, three things that happened. And and that's it. We're just gonna get rid of it, and and but we still care enough for him, where we're not gonna kill him, or we're not gonna make, make we're gonna make sure that they don't kill him or get rid of him, you know, like that that even though it is kind of like an hour, the decisions that go from he's our new boy and we're gonna learn to love him, and then we're kind of starting to love him, and then oh our other boy is back, and now we don't love him, and now let's just get rid of him. That that, that those five things or six things happen very quickly or the the actions that lead to for that to happen it's it's nothing impactful enough to convince me that you know the the big decision that it was to get this little boy and live with them uh for them to just change their tune that quickly that was kind of uh, i understand that they had to do it it's tough
0: because i think if you cut that down to like a montage you would, I don't know. I feel like it would be starting the movie off in the wrong direction, because your brain would have to take a lot of leaps. That even though these moments feel, I would say probably kind of forced. Um, yeah. If you cut cut out still a lot of the substance of that, you're you're making conveniences to the plot, um, and you're not gonna maybe. You can understand why the family would get rid of David, right? But right. if you see that these were accidents, and David is disposed of, and we'll say the first forty minutes of the film are encapsulated in ten minutes, mm. you're not going to have any sort of sympathy for that family, or David's journey as, you know, this evolving android character. So, but do you do
1: you have sympathy for that journey though? Because I I I think I so. never felt. I I never felt like the mom gave a fuck about the robot other than when she left him because it was always kind of an odd interaction. She was trying to warm up to him, trying to like be nice, but he was still kind of awkward. He was still kind of off putting. She was still kind of like, "Eh," not entirely sure. And then she felt bad when she got rid of him. So his love for that mother figure was programmed into him. It wasn't because you know, she earned that love, you know? Right. Yes. No, no, no. So, I think
0: you're, I think you're absolutely correct. And it's, a, I mean, Jude Law says um, at one point, he's kind of sitting David down and lecturing him about yeah. whether or not they can actually love the Mecca. Yeah. He says, no, she just loves, you know, how you make her feel. She doesn't actually love you. And I think you're completely correct in your analysis of her relationship With David where she's the family member that gets the fond uh, she's fondest of him of the three but to be able to get to a point where you're setting him go in the forest like like a wild mangy dog or something uh, clearly you know the love was not there it was not that deep so um, yeah I know I I think you absolutely do have a point on on the topic again of um, of Joe the Jude Law character you know, it does, you know, it, you could have like a very strong 90-minute movie in this if you do cut down the beginning somewhat and you cut out that Joe character. Although I, I think uh, Spielberg or Kubrick was trying to be like, well, this is David's uh, um, escalation into... No, oh. no, no. I was Well, that's kind of the, the Teddy, right?
1: Right. Oh, yeah, that's true. He's yeah, the big yeah, yeah. fix at the end.
0: He's got the lock of hair he's been storing for... God knows how long. What a creep. He was probably sniffing it in his free time when no
1: one was looking. Joe. Uh stop stop acting like you didn't want a teddy after the movie was <laughs> he's just like I want a little teddy to be walking around cutting my hair at night.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Collecting the hair. He's a, he, he could work at a barber shop. He could be reapplied. I think I think the Teddy's the best character in the movie, personally.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, who's a voice? <laughs>
0: uh, he's a he's not a famous actor, he's a voice actor who's done G.I. Joe and Transformers somebody in the 80s um yeah no i i i think maybe they were trying to communicate with joe in the the red light district i i'm forgetting the name of that portion of town um everything is like specifically outlined in the in the film um do you remember the name of it no it doesn't matter i i think that's supposed to be metaphorical for uh david becoming uh, more mature, more more of an adult, or what have you. It's supposed to be something along those lines. After he leaves home, he then is introduced to these aspects of the world, and then finally, the ending is supposed to be that peaking, I guess, and and maybe representative of of, of death, perhaps.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know. Let me see. <laughs> Look at my notes. I had more. Things to say about this about movie about Manny, uh, about Manny's journey in the about film. little, about little, little Manny becomes Spider-Man. Yeah, honestly, uh, I I remember when we started talking about when you asked me to do an episode of this that just because of what I remembered from it, uh, that it was just, and I think the first time I ever saw it was on TV. Here, I didn't even see it in the theater or DVD or anything. I think I saw it on TV, uh, and it was just long and slow and difficult to get through and for whatever reason this time uh maybe because i was paying more attention but i didn't feel like it it was that difficult of a watch as i thought it would be um i i don't know if it was my mental state or how the, the where i was when i was watching it but uh it, even though I, I i watched it in two days because i did pass out you know all man but uh but uh it's definitely something that I didn't think I would be able to recommend to anyone just because of the memory that I have from the first time I saw it. But I I, I think it's one that people should probably talk about a little bit more than they do because I, I can't think of anyone saying any nice things about or even mentioning this movie at any point ever. I don't think anyone talks about this movie at all. And I don't think it's bad. I don't think... I don't think it does anything exceptionally, but when it comes to the Pinocchio story or like the story of this robot that wants to be a real boy, it's really well done. And it, it it's very enjoyable at times. It does drag a little bit at points, but it's definitely a one that I would recommend to someone that's into sci-fi and into like that whole philosophy of like what are humans and like what is living or whatever, like however deep you wanna you want to get into yeah. it.
0: No, I I completely agree with you. I think this is probably... I mean, we can take a look at the Christopher Nolan Batman films as Warner Brothers reaching a a certain level uh, and also just Hollywood reaching a certain level where the blockbuster becomes essentially the only efficient style of film to release into theaters. Um, And this movie is kind of like... It's like the last hurrah of an independent, I mean, it's not really independent, but something without a, a massive IP behind it that has a huge budget that is a spectacle in released through a mainstream uh, film studio. Uh, it, it arrives right in 2001, I believe, and um, it is quickly forgotten, which, uh, considering you have two iconic filmmakers on board for it, and it is the only film that Stanley Kubrick ever produced it you would feel like it would be discussed more often than it is but i think it left a certain impression uh among uh filmgoers that was maybe not a a positive one specifically because of its tone and in spite of any spectacle that it might offer it, it is an oddly toned film and i think that is deliberate uh and it makes i think it's a very interesting film to be watching now as we have uh, certain escalations in technology, I do recommend it. I think it's on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, if only for, you get a little, it's not, it doesn't feel like a final chapter for Kubrick. I think Eyes Wide Shut feels like a definitive final chapter, but it is, it is something. I, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't know how to describe it. It feels like a little, uh like uh, just an afternote.
1: What do you think that is though? Because it did make, A lot of money it did I think the box office was 285 I think with a budget of 100 and uh, and it was nominated for a couple of Oscars so it's not like it was panned it's not like it wasn't successful but it's definitely one from the Spielberg filmography that I don't think is ever mentioned
0: right well uh, I I I don't know I, I think people are very sentimental about his work in the 80s and 90s especially and this was right around the time that he started making more what feels like more corporate films i think as soon as he got into this and minority report you know working with tom cruise something was lost even though I, i don't think there's necessarily a decline in quality because it seems like he's maintained one steady rhythm of quality all throughout his career it just right. seems it seems like all right. The heyday of Spielberg as his massive commercial director is maybe not not sparking as brightly as it as it
1: used to. Do you think that's because of how movies have changed throughout his filmmaking career, where he makes old man movies like The Posts now? Instead of Goonies, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it, it's really funny to look at his filmography, where he started and where he's at now. Uh, when you have things like like the Goonies or like,
0: well, he produced the Goonies. Richard Donner 18. directed uh, Goonies, but I mean, so much of his his notable work of the '80s and also that did contribute to his career is what he produced, like Poltergeist, right? Yeah. Which it's highly disputed if he actually directed that film and Toby Hooper was just too drunk. Too drunk on the set, like Patty Jenkins on Wonder Woman. Too drunk on the set, and just couldn't handle himself. And Spielberg had to step yep. in and take over. Now he's doing War Horse, yeah.
1: and 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 then he rented what studio to have the little girl? What was oh, the I don't I don't know the, anything about ever work
0: <laughs> of Poltergeist. What? Uh, no, that actually didn't. That did not in, involve Spielberg. You can. There's a lot of speculation about Spielberg and his activities, but. The 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 Heather O'Rourke thing was a TV uh, studio TV producers being very creepy. Very that that's a that is a disturbing story if true.
1: Yeah, he's yeah. just in the crowd. That's how we were <laughs> he just showed up for the <laughs> taping of
0: Saved by the Bell one day. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh my god.
0: Yeah, he. I mean, he had the Twilight Zone movie. He had E. T. Close Encounters Raiders of the Lost Ark. That that's a run, and and for films produced. There's a lot of work that Amblin has put out that is, uh, you know, family classics. So he's he's got he's got quite the filmography. Amistad. Did you ever watch Amistad? You know much about Amistad? Oh, why?
1: No, it's the slave ship, right? Yeah. See, you do know. There you go. No, never saw it. Why? Those type of movies like that, or like Twelve Years a Slave. It's like I'm just. Like, let's just watch white people be evil for two hours. That's not very fun. That's you know, it's post. not the fun evil. Right? It's not the fun evil. It's like the cartoony evil, but not fun. I don't know. I've never seen... I don't think I've ever seen... I'll ever see The Post, especially after watching... Uh, what was the other one that came out two years before that? Hi- uh, highlight. Uh, spotlight. Like the
0: spotlight. Spotlight.
1: Yeah, after seeing that, I was like, why the fuck would you watch another movie of a journalist? This is bullshit. And The Post had a... The post A-list. I think was
0: the same year, wasn't it? I don't know. It might have been. But it might have been the, the year cast. after. I I don't know. You have
1: you, like a, an A list cast, right? Yep. You got Metal Strip. You have I can't remember anyone else, but <laughs> but I know that it was like a bigger budget and a bigger cast. But it's just I I don't care. It's like it's like the Argo thing. It's like great, you journalist saving the day. Who gives a shit? You know who are these movies for? But it feels like he's become that guy now. You know, you got War Horse, you got Bridge of Spies. Who the fuck was Bridge of Spies for? If not for plus fifty-year-old dads? Uh, so it, 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 his entire career, I guess, is aged like he has, uh, where now it's not anymore about the spectacle and the fun of his movies, but it's more about what is this old man? thinking in this very dark room very dramatic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) the biggest offense that bridges spies committed was getting mark rylance an oscar because the academy wanted to be a bunch of snobs that year and not give it to to sylvester stallone just like they did mickey rourke mickey rourke wins every award and then they give it to sean penn for milk nobody Uh, else did that but they did that in 2015 with Bridge's Spies, Sylvester Stallone's winning every every award. He's going to win the Oscar again. It's going to be a big good comeback story. Michael Keaton's in it for no. Birdman. It's going to be a good comeback. No, they're going to give it to the most boring, bland, talented Bird.
1: piece of <laughs> shit
0: actor, Mark Rylance, Eddie Redmayne, Sean Penn. They can go 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 jump off yeah. the
1: bridge. That's where are inside. they now?
0: How's Dead. Eddie Redmayne doing? How's Dead his career? Inside dead inside from doing so many fucking boring (laughs) biopics specifically for a piece of metal on the shelf how soulless how soulless do you have to be for a piece of metal to put above your fireplace
1: he still doesn't win either that's the worst part how many oscars he didn't win one with the stephen hawking movie did he he did Did he He beat michael keaton for that and then he did he
0: tried to do it again
1: another one that's yep. another outrageous one too, because it's, you're just sitting, you're sitting making a crooked face for eighty percent of the movie. Fuck off with that shit. Uh, and then then he repeats. The one, right? He does
0: the Danish scroll. I think that's the movie. The following that's- year, thinking I'm going to win this year, t- I'm going to do back to back years doing this. He does the whole who 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 do, Daniel Day Lewis. Everybody's trying to be Daniel Day Lewis. We talked about this on the Chinatown episode. Yeah. Nobody wants to be themselves. You know why? Because they're vapid and boring people, because they have had no life experience uh, to the point that they've been nominated up for that award. They have nothing to contribute to the role as themselves. So they just yep. try to imitate to the best of their ability whatever already exists. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that if you're doing a biopic. You should probably try to do that. You shouldn't just do the Fassbender is St- Steve Jobs thing where he's Michael Fassbender for two hours. That movie's pretty good, by the way, the Danny Boyle, Steve Jobs movie. Much better than the Ashton Kutcher rendition. Um, but... No
1: way. <laughs> you don't say you <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's another movie
0: that's not remembered. It makes him look like a total piece of shit, Steve Jobs. Um,
1: well, and- he was, right?
0: maybe i mean anybody any you make that amount of money
1: people any look when you become a big producer that owns universal or whatever you're gonna be a piece of well you're you're a piece of shit now and we have no success (laughs) at all so i mean (laughs) just think about think about what's gonna happen once you're the head of a monopoly or something like that and i own my own island uh, Over-18 Island in the Caribbean. Uh, <laughs> you know, That'll over,
0: be the name of so it, Over-18 Island. Yep. 18 plus <laughs> yep. Island. Just, just
1: to make sure, you know, make sure you we know, have crop circles in the shape of 18 plus, just to make sure that everyone knows.
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, here's what I just realized. Spielberg did not produce The Goonies or Poltergeist. Oh, no, he did produce Poltergeist. He wrote The Goonies and he wrote oh. Poltergeist. I was not aware of that. I didn't know that he wrote the Goonies. For films produced, you have Five Old Goes West, you have Memories of a Ga Memoirs nice. of A Geisha, excuse me, uh Flags of Our Fathers. That's where we're starting to get into the boring stuff. How boring is that <laughs> World War II? How about you pick a new subject, huh? How about a different war? That's How easy, about the right? where's, where's all the Korean War movies? Is that Clint Eastwood? Clint Eastwood and Spielberg work so. together? Yeah, you're you're correct. Wow, I did not know that. Hmm. How about some Forgotten Wars? How about what's going on in Turkey right now? Something dirty, I
1: bet. Yeah. In China. (laughs) The Uyghur Uyghur (laughs) genocide. Yeah, good luck getting
0: a corporation to cover that. Fucking LeBron James will poo-poo that. that. No.
1: Yeah. Yeah, good luck trying to get that Cenk Uyghur script done. About the genocide that's happening in China. Uger genocide, the Chechen
0: genocide. Letters from Iwo Jima. He's very obsessed with World War II. I don't even think he was alive yet. Jeez. Spielberg. Spielberg. He's old, but Isn't he's not he like that
1: 90? old. <laughs> no, no. no <laughs> I'm he's,
0: sure he was. His, his parents are alive still. That's the that's the other thing too. You make a certain amount of money, you control the film industry, you can keep your parents alive as long as you want.
1: Yeah. Look at Ben Stiller. <laughs> they died now. He's 74. <laughs> Fuck off. That's not young. He That's young nowadays.
0: 74? 74 is not that old. You take a look at a 30 year old, they look like a. Look at Haley Joel Osmond now. He's older
1: than both Get of us, us, I think. Look <laughs> at <Yeah. laughs> you and me. A fresh faced 30 year old and a fresh faced 35 year old in a couple of months. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.